We're back again, uh, joining us this week, and now uh, entering the, once again, the the ultra-elite tier of two-time Chapo guests is Libby Watson. Libby, what's up? Hi, thank you for having me back. Do I get a set of steak knives or anything yet? You No, you're, you're, no steak knives yet. The, only Derek damn. Davison has gotten steak knives so far, but uh, you will damn. have a jersey that's raised to the rafters of the of the Park Slope <laughs> Mansion. Fantastic. But, um... Yeah, we're back again. Um, it's uh, it's the new year, and everything is just leading up to the inauguration, which I, I do want to talk about. But I think the theme to open this year and this incredibly slow and shitty news week is, Matt, something you said, where now we're really in uh, the calm before the uh, shitstorm or shitquake or uh, to choose your natural disaster and add shit to it because it's coming. Yeah, yeah. It's like everyone is sort of in an intermediate stage of Kubler-Ross cycle, depending on the individual, but no one is anywhere near acceptance yet. So everybody's just kind of freaking out and, and I think mostly in denial still. I mean, I feel like I'm in denial too. Yeah. You know, like, because oh, I, mean, yeah, I, sure. I, it, it really hasn't sunk in yet, and it's not going to probably until halfway through the through this year. But you know, I think I, that I, that first, I think that first Trump, uh, Trump State of the Union, that's going to be something, man. That's going to be, be so a good. real like racing gonna, shot. I think he's going to do crowd work. I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but Matt, you had a, a another chilling thought about like if he has to address the nation after some kind of tragedy oh, God, or mass yeah. shooting. It's like, what that's going to yeah. be like? It's bad. The guns. It's it's too I'm bad. Ma- People get to die. But Dude, the guns. We love them. I'm we ma- love the guns, folks. His address after a terrorist attack would be unimaginably bad. It would be so depressing. Oh yeah, he'll he'll basically get gangs of people on street corners throughout America with pitchforks <laughs> and shit going after Muslims. I mean, it would definitely yeah. happen. He'd be like, "Folks, your neighbors, you can't trust them. You don't know what these people are Fol- from, folks." They have sushi at 7-Eleven now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just waiting for maybe some ISIS attack in Vegas at like the Bellagio or something. And he's like, folks, this would not have happened at a Trump casino. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have the tightest security and the loosest slots. (laughs) Well, I mean, this this is all, you know, uh, counterfactual speculation about the future. But there are things happening in the present. And there, there's a few, I think a few news items and, and articles of note uh, worth discussing this week. Uh, the first of which um, uh, is this, uh, this whole thing that went down with like uh, attempts to basically gut the House Ethics Committee that had, was proposed uh, at the beginning of the week. And I think since scuttled by the Republicans. But uh, Libby, I wanted to ask you about this because you've done uh, a lot of work in the, in the sort of field of uh, government transparency and accountability. And I was wondering if you could sort of explain to us what went down with this ethics committee snafu and really explain it in layman's terms. Sure. Yeah. Um, so last night, I think, um, the, the house, or was it the night before? I think it was the second, um, Republicans voted to like not remove the independent ethics, the office of congressional ethics, but just to make it completely toothless. I mean, you know, the provisions in there included that they weren't allowed to hire a communications person. You know, they wouldn't be allowed to have a spokesperson or a press secretary, which just seems really dickish. You know, I don't really know what, how that helps them. It just seems like a real, can they have a Twitter account? Yeah. I mean, only LO. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean things like that. Uh, just made it you know completely toothless. Obviously, everyone got uh, very mad about that, and they have since reversed this policy um, after, but not necessarily because Donald Trump also tweeted that uh, this was a bad idea. It's very frustrating to see people kind of giving Trump credit for this. Even Peter Dow, I think, was saying that we should uh, we should give him credit for when he's right. Resistance. Um, <laughs> Hashtag resistance. <laughs> exactly. Uh, buy the t-shirt. You know, he his tweet said something like, uh, here, here it is, uh, with all that Congress has to work on, do they really have to make the weakening of the independent ethics washdog as unfair as it is uh, their number one act and priority? So he's like, he's saying, yeah, it is shit. Ethics is shit, but, you know, they should work and on other things. Like, it's once not, again, he shows it's not a good statement. to be a complete moron, as we know, because... It has to be the first thing they do because it's what they do at the beginning of the Congress to set the rules for the session. They can't do it right. After. It's like, well, like right, they weren't even in they weren't even in session. They yet. have to like, do it couldn't. first. So like even when he makes like this, yeah, standing that's supposed to show his. It's like from a perspective of just blinkered idiocy. Like that's the best hope right. is that he's so stupid that being he he just accidentally is correct. I just right. I mean, like getting off on like the the Peter Dow tangent, but he is indicative of a lot of of a lot of a, a certain type of mindset that is like obsessed with this idea that like Donald Trump is you know a, a foreign agent of influence is a dictator, but yet he should get brownie points when he does like you know tweets in favor of the ethics committee or like does one thing correctly that like that he's like look I'm big enough to to admit when the other side is like no fuck the other side dude like what like what are you holding out for like who's going to give you points for showing how magnanimous you are right exactly well i mean like i think Aaron Sorkin he's taking Yeah notes. no there are, i mean there are plenty of like moderates and liberals you know it's it's basically uh, you know, a breed of Ron Fournierism. You know, it's like if the idea is right, then we have to give credit to the person saying it, even if that person is Donald fucking well, but Trump. But Fournier, you know, like to defend Ron, even Ron was like, no, Donald Trump didn't save the ethics committee. But Peter Dow, who's like paid to be a partisan, as opposed to Ron, who's paid to be nonpartisan, <laughs> like Ron should be the leader of the resistance, not Peter. For sure. And of course, the real um, sad thing is that this. Eth- this independent quote unquote ethics committee sucked anyway. Before yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Like, it was bad sure to begin mo- with. I'm sure it was mostly toothless, but like Libby, I wanted to ask you, like, like what does this auger in terms of like this is the, if this is the first thing on the House Republicans' agenda, right? Is to just clear this yeah. out of the way. I mean, like, they're probably still stung from like the Jack Abramoff thing, right? Like, they just want to go back to right. that, but without even that minor hurdle to clear, right? Right. Well, this office was actually set up after the the Jack Abramoff scandal. Like it was set up in response to that. Um, so you know, it's it's like it was clearly you know necessary, but you know, uh, not exactly great what it did. Like it was, it often would just fail to rule on issues. Like it was, it would open an investigation and just never close it, so that they would never have to either um, you know clear lawmakers or actually <laughs> sanction them. Um, I think uh, the New York Times said that in 21 out of 68 cases, they just haven't made a ruling. So that's like a significant amount, you know, almost a third of the cases, they just wouldn't make a ruling, which isn't great. Um, but clearly, you know, if the Republicans were going after it, they were going after it for a reason. And, you know, that's that's to just, you know, got any kind of uh, oversight. And, you know, they have they have uh, brought down sanctions in the past. But I mean, to that point, you know, I wonder if they, you know, just feel like the the Trump way of doing things is just to do shit and get away with it by pretending it's fine, um, by just saying that it's fine and, uh, 
you know, ignoring it when people criticize you. Um, and I guess they found that that didn't work in this case, which I guess is slightly encouraging. Um, it's hard to feel encouraged by literally anything right now because, you know, everything is shit. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, people, you know, reporters are saying that uh, members are saying that what swayed them was the, the number of calls they got to their offices. So that does show that, you know, maybe this kind of direct action will be something that we can turn to in the next four years, um, you know, which is, you know, I, I think kind of basically our only hope. Libby, hell, I ain't afraid to use the word. I'm talking about ethics. <laughs> ethics. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> have John Polito call your uh, your local uh, congressman and constituent pressure. Moving on from that, uh, the the other item that I definitely wanted to ask you about this week was uh, this is uh, in the Washington Post. It's uh, the Democratic Party builds a war room to battle Donald Trump. Okay, I'm just going to read from this article. It was in the Washington Post this week. It says. The Democratic National Committee is building a war room to battle President-elect Donald Trump, pressure the new Republican administration on a variety of policy matters, and train a spotlight on Russia's alleged cyber attacks to influence the 2016 election. Great. Hell yeah. They're going to take that. They're going to take back the courts, legislature, because <laughs> everyone cares about the Russia issue. That's why Hillary won in the first place. <laughs> well, here's the punchline. It says the DNC's new communications and research operations to be staffed by former aides to Hillary Clinton's presidential campaigns will be one of the s several efforts from across the Democratic firmament to take on Trump, including the office of Senate Minority Leader Charles E. Schumer, the Center for American Progress, and American Bridge. Um... So, like, their their new plan to uh, wage a war against Trump is to uh, create an organization staffed exclusively by people who just lost to Trump. It's kind of. Do you guys remember the movie Casino Royale? Yes. Remember when James Bond lost all that money gambling, <laughs> and he was like, "Vespa, I need another ten million dollars." Uh, and she goes, "James, no, because women don't ever want men to have fun." <laughs> and uh, anyway, he has to get it from the CIA, but he's like. By losing to Le Chief, I know how to beat him. And that's some, you know, failure of success shit. So Peter Dow and Robbie Mook are James Bond. <laughs> Hillary is Vesper Lind because she's holding the purse, purse strings with $30 billion in dark money. And this is them going back to the table to gamble against Trump, who is Le Chief. Well, yeah, Trump showed his tell. By yeah. winning the presidential yeah, election, they're like, so oh, next time, like they're like, oh, oh, wow, oh, wow, this is Trump has a very complex game. When you let him campaign in Wisconsin, he wins that state. <laughs> wow, I've learned a lot competing against mm, this guy. Intriguing, but Libby, I just want to run through the. It says there's all other people here. The DNC has hired John Neffinger, a longtime operative who runs the Franklin Forum, to serve as interim communications director and oversee the National Party's operation. He will be joined by two Clinton veterans who spent the campaign focused on Trump, researching his background monitoring his statements and trying to drive negative media coverage of his candidacy. Uh, I, I mean, like, I don't know, L Libby, what do you make of this? And this, like the idea, like what are they, they're going to still find embarrassing uh, audio and video <laughs> clips of Donald Trump that are out there. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about this as a survivor of the Brock world. Um, I worked at media matters for a year and I'm really sorry for that. And, um, you know, th the three people that are outlined in this this Washington Post piece, John Neffinger from the Franklin Forum, which is a 
I'm not really sure what they do. I think they like train progressives who are going on TV to to say progressive things, and you know they do like media training and give them talking points and stuff. Um, and then the other two are Zach Petkarnas, who um, I overlap with a little bit at Media Matters. He was there for a, a few months as a communications guy. Uh, and Adrian Watson, who was at Correct the Record. Um, and now we all know Correct the Record from this last cycle as the organization that uh, said it was going to spend a million dollars on doing good posts about how Hillary is nice um, in order to win the election. I don't know whether they ever really did um, because like, it's really hard to track that stuff. I found a few Twitter accounts that uh, were definitely run by them and they were literally just bots. They just found, they would find like, you know, accounts like, you know, deplorable Steve or like Trump Kike, you know, 1488 <laughs> and reply to them saying, love wins. <laughs> and, that <was> the, <clears throat> and that was the, uh, the million dollar expenditure there. Um, so, yeah, so Adrienne Watson, she was their comms director, and now she has a job as the DNC's press secretary. Um, Zach Petkarnas, his other roles other than Media Matters were uh, the Hillary campaign um, and uh, Wendy Davis, uh, the Wendy Davis campaign, uh, which was... Oh, my know, God, she killed us. Yeah, she's current governor of Texas. Um, <laughs> look. Yeah, um, and then John Neffinger, I, you know, I, again, I know nothing of the Franklin Forum, but I did used to see... I did used to see him around the office and um, he always used to walk around with an iPad tucked into the back of his jeans. Alpha. Uh, so, he, so, you know, in my head he was always iPad jeans. But did I he think have it giant is pockets that, or did he just stuff it into his yo, waistband? Yo, he's got those chewies, yo. He's like Raylan like Gibbons. He's just hanging out the waistband of his he's jeans. He's like Raylan Gibbons um, and he pulls it out. He can draw and cite a source quicker than anybody. <laughs> Yeah, he's like a cowboy with the iPad. He just whips it out. No, like, uh, you know, so basically this means that the DNC has appointed someone to be the comms director who has an iPad for an ass, which I think is a great, Hell yeah. <laughs> great look. But great I mean, look, you want to have an organization staffed by professional Democrats. They're going to be losers. I mean, that's all they've yep. got. They've got a collection of massive fucking losers. All the winners, the guys who won for Obama, went off to like, you know, work with Uber or work for David know, Cameron. Yeah, 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 like doing yeah. startups for billions of dollars about monetizing, you know, uh, human emotions. I mean, that's they're all they're all stacking, you know, fa- stacking the money. All that's left in the sad pool of DC are these congenital fucking losers. Right. I mean, there are like the odd bright spots. I mean, like obviously there's, as we all remember, Zach from the DNC, man, stole our hearts. Chapo um, fan. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is L- a listener, listener, proud yeah. listener of the show. Yeah, um, he's extremely cool. And, uh, you know, they could have gone in a more Zach from the DNC direction. They could have at least, you know, listened. But instead, they've picked people from, you know, pretty much exclusively from the worst operations to support Hillary. You know, correct the record, just a resounding failure. Uh, you know, Media Matters, whatever the fuck the Franklin Forum is. Like, no one has it's, even it's heard of it. So it's actually a web clearly, forum. It's a web forum where you, <laughs> where you post and you can earn Hillary points for all the posts. It's the Franklin Forum. Yeah. It's called it's called the Franklin Forum because everybody is exhibiting tertiary syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> the only avatar you can use is the turtle from the children's cartoon Franklin. <laughs> uh, no, look, I mean, these people have tried and true methods, and the Democrats are going to win the midterms because. They made Peter Dow post in all caps about Russia, and they found a tape of Trump saying, little homie gay ass. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's going to work. Well, this is the most offensive thing 
uh, for me because like Brock said, you know, during the campaign, like, oh, you know, we've got more footage on Trump than anyone and we're going to, you know, we're going to be mining this stuff. And that didn't fucking work. And then after the election, he said, you know, we're going to have more people devoted to looking into Trump than anyone else. I'm like, you just fucking did that. And it didn't work. You clearly, it clearly showed that you can look into him all you want. And, you know, you can find a video of him saying, you know, literally, I sexually assault women. He doesn't fucking matter. Libby, Libby, do you you remember when, like, before the pussy grabber tape, the David Brock posted like we will give you five million dollars if you give us a tape of Trump. Oh yeah, right. After, it was like, wait, what the, happened to Looking for? Wait, wait. But like, this was late, late, late in the election after he had already claimed that like he has all of the goods on yeah. Trump and, and, and he's already the, taken he, money from everyone to do precisely this. And then like with three weeks left in the election, he's like, by the way, if you have any really good dirt on Trump, yeah. I'll pay you $5 million. What a fucking incompetent cokehead moron. <laughs> oh my God. Never right. put a cokehead in charge of your operation because he's going to go out in the media like David Brock and be like, I have every tape of Trump saying everything ever. And then just like play solitaire in his office and sweat for six months <laughs> and then then he's gonna be like oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit the polls are tightening but I mean don't they know by now that well, nobody gives a shit like well, yeah, no one cares like, not, no one point they- at it if, like, even if they found them it wouldn't matter nobody cares like at a very basic yeah. level that kind of public square that's supposed to reprove people for violating norms of decency doesn't exist right and they seem right. to have, be totally I mean, Trump, unable to process that reality. Right. Trump already has very low favorability yeah. ratings. Like, I don't know how much lower they they think they're going to be able to push it in a way that will actually, you know, clearly people voted for him despite thinking he's a dick, you know, despite knowing he's a dick. Like, that just did that for to a you know, significant number of people that didn't matter. I also just want to point out that $5 million that Brock offered for that tape, he didn't offer it to people. He said he would give it to veterans. He said, I'll give the veterans $5 million, but only if you can get me a tape of of, uh, you know, Trump being a Nazi He's or whatever. so good. He's <laughs> so amazing. good. If you give me a tape of Trump kissing his daughter, I will raise <laughs> money for bullying and the knockout, gets knockout game relief. Like, what a fucking huckster. He is the greatest. I mean, you know who else entire... liked to do that, though? You know who else liked to make fake uh, fake bets and fake claims that he would give millions of dollars to veterans if tapes uh, things came out? <laughs> A little guy named Donald motherfucking Trump. Remember? During yeah. the, he yeah. said, if, President, give me a birth certificate. I'll give a million dollars to veterans. It's, <laughs> he it's, means... They're the same fucking assholes. Do you remember? Th- right, this-, this is the thing. He's just a, a slimier, less successful Trump. He's just a shittier version of. Him. Yeah, remember, yeah. It was, it was again. It was like late in the campaign, but like someone just dug up like the, like old media hits on Trump, and one of them included a story about how he showed up at. Uh, like an AIDS charity gala ball and like got on stage despite not having been invited or given money and just got photographed giving the thumbs up and he was like, I support this. I'm Trump, everybody. And then left. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we got some top minds. But like, isn't this just another sp- spectacular example of failing upwards if you fail in a big enough way for the right people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not just failing people, though. It's a failing strategy. Like, yeah. I've heard a lot of fucking belly aching from Clinton people after the election that's like, the media was totally aligned against us. And it's like, no, they weren't. It's just right. that the media is shitty 
and that like ninety percent of Americans hate it and don't care about it. Yeah, nobody cares like, about the fuck. Like, if this thing, if, they, if they the were media had the any media effect to, to decide it for them, but nobody fucking pays attention. Nobody cares anymore. It's just people. Everyone have their, hates the media. They're like siloed interests and their siloed media that they consume, mostly Facebook uh, memes, and that everything else <laughs> they just fucking ignore. And that's everyone. There, there's just it doesn't just exist. Like- this public squares. It's it's overgrown. Right. It's filled with weeds and dogs are shitting in it and fucking at random. There's nothing. There's nobody there anymore. Get right. over it. This is what worries me most about like the next four years going forward is that you know, it's the same with the ethics committee stuff. Like in general, Democrats just don't recognize that Republicans are playing an entirely different game. Completely happy to lie, and they don't care if they're fucking hypocrites. Yes, yes. Like, like McConnell today said that the American people will not tolerate uh, Democrats blocking a SCOTUS nomination. Hilarious. Which they've been doing for a fucking Hilarious. year. Which is like, right. And it's like, you know, liberals, Democrats, you know, Vox.com fucking lanyard dick iPad asses think that if you, like, if you just point that out, if you say, ah, oh, good sir, but actually, you know, you've been doing this for a year, then that's the fucking debate won, and therefore that means they win. But no, you, you know, it doesn't matter if you win the debate anymore. Yeah, I mean, like, the good thing to- about that is, is that guess what? Uh, Mitch McConnell, bitch. Nobody cared when you were blocking uh, Obama's nominee. That means nobody's going to give a shit when they block Trump's nominee either. Yes, absolutely. So fucking. Yeah. Then I mean, you if have they to actually do it, nobody no, cares. No, but the, the rules are but that's the gone, thing, like, baby. Just do what you fucking. Just do whatever you can get away with. But regardless like, of but what nobody you're nobody really thinks that the Democrats are going to go to the mattresses and do whatever it takes to to torpedo any of Trump's nominations, albeit. But like maybe they can keep John Bolton out of the State Department we, I because of Rand. So. Because of Rand. But like it, it's all this complaining about like like mostly from people in the media complaining about how bad the media is just seems like the teacher tattling to themselves. You know, yeah. And Libby, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up this idea about like hypocrisy and the like the bad strategy and just the idea that like liberals and Democrats just like cannot, they don't understand that they're playing a completely different game than what the right is and are as such completely unprepared for what's about to happen to them. I wanna I wanna just uh, talk briefly about this uh, Michael Tomaski article that came out this week in uh, the Daily Beast. Uh, the title of the article is. Um, New Year's resolution for the left. Make sure multiculturalism includes white people. Now, this is just basically, uh, you know, a, a an Ooh. essay long uh, elaboration on Randy G. Dubbs' tweet that says that the Democrats are going to look hard <laughs> in the mirror and say to themselves, "We got to get more racist." <laughs> but uh, like, the, most of the article isn't worth talking about. But I just want to highlight two places here. Uh, in one paragraph, he says, "Uh." After talking about all the good things that Hillary Clinton was for, and it's the saddest irony of the election that middle and working class people just didn't realize all of the good stuff that she was going to do for them. He says, liberalism needs people who can talk about them the right way, talk to them in the right way and in the right places. It also needs desperately to spread facts and smother anti facts. The triumph of anti facts. A presidential candidate who lied as naturally as he drew breath, the rise of fake news, the plain refusal of 30 or 40 percent of the population to believe true things is a major crisis for democracy. Two things I'll say about this. Um, nobody on the right thinks this way. And, and, and in this paragraph that's two sentences long, 
the second sentence directly refutes the first. So he's talking about how we have to spread facts and smother anti-facts, and then says that 30 to 40% of America plainly refuses to believe things that are true. So like, how do you square that? Like, where does, it, where does that leave right. you if you're going to double down on facts now or going to war right. against anti-facts, which is such a fucking hilarious turn of phrase, anti-facts. It speaks directly to, the, to this mindset that I think is so risable. Right, I mean, he was clearly very proud of himself when he came up with anti-facts. It reminds me of the kind of thing that I would have done, like trying to finish an essay at 4 a.m. <laughs> at uni, being like, oh yeah, fuck, that sounds great. Yeah, anti-facts, brilliant. Yeah, I can do a paragraph out of that. Like, it doesn't mean... Also, like, the refusal of 30 or 40% of the population to believe things is not new. Like... 30% of Americans don't think the fucking moon landing happened. Like, this isn't a Trump thing. It's just a people thing. Well, the thing to remember is that the Democratic Party is not a political party in the traditional sense. They don't have members. They don't have a mass of people who are organized under the umbrella of the Democratic Party. It's like a, it's, they have voters. They have, they have consumers who choose Democrat when they go to the polls. You know, like like they have people who have a brand preference for Democrats, uh, and right. what is needed in a in a in a dire emergency like what we're having with this Trump administration and these just psychotic monsters in in Congress taking over without any real opposition, is the only thing that's going to have any effect on that is mobilized citizenry opposing them, and the Democratic Party is just it's not equipped to do the job of mobilizing them because it's not a political party. It's it's a collection of of uh, corporate, uh, basically, uh, just, you know, like, like the people who are at any any uh, uh, any corporation, you know, the, the, the people in marketing, the people at finance, you know, it's, it's just that it's 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 this white collar, uh, this white collar one percent layer of people in Washington who work uh, at the, the the party, and then there's everyone else, and there's no connective tissue between those two groups of people. So the uh, only thing they have to do is is generate this shit that is directed at each other, at at other members of their political and media class, because they they have absolutely no no connections to anybody else who they actually need to get off their fucking asses if they're going to ameliorate the worst of what's coming. Matt, that's that that perfectly segues into the second thing I wanted to highlight in this this Tomansky piece, which is like, okay, the headline is that we have to make sure multiculturalism includes white people. And you sort of think that it's gonna be like, oh, is Tomansky gonna be like, we need to you know, is he gonna go on the white working class tip, right? And the answer is he hundred percent does not. He writes off the, the the quote white working class as completely unreachable through politics and uses this recent election Hell yeah. positive of it. But what he does say is he says that the Democrats need to be more comfortable with church going suburban white people. And he says, I know lots of these people. My dear mom was one and virtually all of her friends from church. Loads of that's, old that's high school why, that's classmates. Why she kept, uh, that's why she kept an unviable fetus in Michael. <laughs> Keep it in. Keep it in, Brandon. You're keeping it in. Mother <laughs> politics must be lukewarm um but she said uh, most are middle more middle class than working class no wait, wait a minute yeah. you're telling me that a democratic <laughs> operative is suggesting that they concentrate on middle income people no yeah. way. i don't and believe it, says, it they may not check every single box they may squirm a little when the trans bathroom issue comes up they may think political correctness can be kind of ridiculous I'm okay. a bathroom warrior with fire in my eyes. 
So what I love about this is he's saying that uh, like white working class people of, of the kinds in, let's say, just to pick three states at random, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, are unreachable through the Democratic, Democratic Party message or politics. Sweet. However, suburban, church-going white people are. Uh, if you are white, live in the suburbs, and attend church regularly... 99% chance you vote Republican <laughs> down the line and are, do so with unchangeable. Also, this was the exact strategy yes. in the last yes. four months of the Clinton campaign was to target people in the Philadelphia suburbs, to target people in the Milwaukee suburbs, uh, to search, as Middle they Virginia. do in Syria, for the mythical moderate, which doesn't exist. And why the fuck does he bring up bathrooms? Bathrooms are what Ted Cruz tried to salvage his campaign on. It didn't even work with Republican primary voters. It is interesting how, yeah. He's one of the dumbest fucking people in media. If Tomansky remembers 2006, the the group of legislatures that were brought in who like to call Rahm Emanuel's bastards, the Blue Dogs... (laughs) The uh the new wave of Ben Nelson. Heath motherfucking. How many of them are still? How many of them are still in the House and Senate? Like none of them. None of them because you can't. This is politics as defined by who I am not, and who I am not is like I am only seventy percent Republican, and you can't keep somebody in off like. People will just take the real thing if you offer them that. You can activate working class votes, not just the white working class votes, if you provide them maybe a once in a generation uh, charismatic politician in Obama. Or absent that, because every other Democrat is a fucking loser who puts iPads in his jeans. <laughs> An actual program of politics, a simple, simply stated program that speaks their material interests as opposed to... Um, Let's get someone in there who's nice to John McCain. But they can't. They can't do that. And it's not because they don't want to. It's not because they're squeamish. It's because the Democratic Party is a capitalist party. Yes. It's because the Democratic Party answers to capitalist interests and promotes. I mean, that's what they're doing. They they, they cannot. They they cannot. If they did that, they wouldn't be the Democratic Party anymore. Like, it's that simple. Like, they cannot do what needs to be done because we don't have a working class party in the United States. We have a capitalist party that pretends sometimes to be a working class party. That's it. And that's what this election has done more than anything is to strip any pretense away from that brutal reality. Hey, Matt, I have a question. We've talked about this before, that certainly though there was a time in which the Democratic Party, while it was never a true workers party, was actually looking out in a The Democratic Party, yeah, it made an alliance with... Labor, right. because labor right. was powerful, because labor had a lot of members that it could mobilize, and it had a lot of money that they could spend. Right. That doesn't exist anymore. Uh, through the connivance of the Rep- Democrats, that's the yes. thing. Like yes. uh, with Carter in the seventies, they 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 openly colluded to basically destroy American unionism, and then that left them in the absolutely predictable position of not having. Uh, not only a mass electoral base, but not having a funding source. And that's when the DLC and Clinton showed up and said, hey, why don't we go to Wall Street and get those guys' yep. money? And then that's and now it's where we've Silicon been ever Valley since. So that, and, and the, and but that was, yeah. And that happened to every, like, they're, like the Labor Party in Britain, that started off as a real workers' party, socialist party yeah. in France. I mean, that neoliberal turd happened everywhere. But it was even easier here because in the United States, Democrat, Democratic Party was always this sort of shell and was always this sort of fake... 
working class party uh, that was just in an alliance almost of convenience with labor for a time. I keep thinking about what I think. I think it was uh, Connor Kilpatrick when he was on the show after the election was saying that, you know, when it comes to black voters, it's it's like, you know, they don't have a choice because they can either vote for oh, that Democrats was Matt Karp, or they can I not think. vote. That's it. Yeah. You know, they can either vote for Democrats or they can not vote because, you know, the Republican Party is, is racist. And it's like, you know, it, it gets to that point with, uh, you know, it, it, with the working class, too, like <laughs> where there just there just isn't uh, there isn't a party for them. Like, there just isn't anyone who represents their needs at all. And while the Democrats are the closest thing they have, you're right. It's it's not any you know, it's not anything close. They don't care about their interests at all. They don't care about them at all. They just care about fucking Katy Perry and you know, Yas Queenery and stuff that works on a on a national. Yeah, team. even because I mean, um, we, they they've abandoned they've totally abandoned having any kind of economic agenda. So it's all cultural, yeah. and and like that does offer something to minority working class people. Like it, it it genuinely is a difference. It's it's not just a distinction between Republicans and Democrats. Having somebody like Obama be president, having a party that is 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 vocally inclusive in their rhetoric. That is different than having Republicans in, in office. And that, that does provide them something. But, like, yeah, I mean, basically what these guys, these, uh, these Democratic people who, are, who have written off the white working class are basically mad at them for not allowing that to be enough. And, and it's like, I'm sorry, you know, people, not everyone is going to be woke enough to take that kind of cultural signaling as enough of a reason to go vote for somebody. Right. That's the thing is you're never going to turn people out that way. Most people don't give a shit. You know, most, you know, quite correctly, most people recognize that it's, you know, it's not worth their time to find out about a lot of this stuff. It's not worth their time to, you know, do the research on, on this stuff. I think it goes back to this, this idea that like, if they're, if they're counting on, if they're, if, if they're saying that like, it's more likely that suburban church-going white people are going to vote Democrat than working-class white people. Then it's just like I don't it's know who the so fuck crazy. are paying the like who are, like suburban who are white suburban church-going white people traditionally have been the social basis for fascism wherever <laughs> yeah. it's power. Yeah, they're so good luck with, with the that. Bavarians. The like, Bavarians supported the Nazi party. But like, but but this yeah. goes to this whole idea too, like that, like you know, the deplorables or like that there are. Part, the parts of the white working class that like, you know, sort of educated cosmopolitan white people find embarrassing or backwards or whatever. I guarantee you that their racism is not nearly as entrenched as the uh, middle to upper middle class suburban variety. Like this whole reformocon thing. Like I find them in a lot of ways worse. Well, those than, are the people uh, who literally either them or their parents or their parents move them out to a spot in the middle of nowhere, specifically so they wouldn't be around any minorities. Like, and then they've grown up for generations in these fucking, uh, these suburban, like, uh, castles. These fucking, like, these besieged, like, the way these people talk about America's cities, they genuinely feel this, like, dread and sense of besiegement and this, and this violent need to quarantine themselves from this this mass of filth like that's how they think i i i mean i have relatives like that and Is yeah they're not reachable and they're definitely worse because they don't have material interests that are in in any kind yeah. of conflict with the republican agenda right like matt like to reach right. those people would it involve giving up far far more than what the democrats would need to do to peel off just a percentage of uh, the the quote unquote 
the the white working class vote, right? Right. And more importantly, like, yeah, maybe you get maybe you only get a few Trump voters to switch, but you also get people who didn't vote to come out. And though right. that's like I, David Cabe had an article recently uh, that was really, really instructive and more people need to read it to think about how he, he basically said that the political reality that dominates right now is the, is the amount of slack in the, the electoral politics of America in that the vast percentage of people who don't fucking vote. Like, that's the, that's, yeah. that is the determining reality. And that's what allows these relatively small minorities of pissed-off suburban white people to determine elections is because of the vast numbers of people who just don't do it. And they could be reached, but it would not be... The Democratic Party, as it currently exists, couldn't do it. They can't get them. And so they gave up. Smartly, because they recognize at a certain level that they're not built to do the job. I think it's just great that, like, it's always like, you know, people like Tomaski can't possibly admit that maybe the Bernie Bros might be right about the kinds of people that need to be reached. So he's just like, like, well, he's thinking about his mom. Any other group. Yeah, exactly. You know, we need to reach the the white transphobes to to win the election. <laughs> like, you know, just anything to not admit that maybe the people who are in his menchies might be right about uh, the people that need to be reached. No, they they will contort themselves to any belief other than coming around to uh, to our, our our sweet dear Bernard brother. <laughs> yeah, no, they but, will uh, they will happily just be the polite Republican Party. The one without yeah. swears and pussy yeah. grabbing. Yes. And then there's the part. Yeah, it'll just it'll like we talked a number of times about how the GOP primary was like when Rodney Dangerfield went to Bushwood Country Club. <laughs> uh, give him a few years in office and the Democrats will just turn into Judge Smales and then the Republicans <laughs> will be uh, Rodney Dangerfield. And then that's it. They would they would they would definitely rather do that than become a genuine opposition. And like the, the horrifying part is like. <laughs> these are the people that for better or worse we have to rely on to stop uh, the worst of what's coming down the pike which is unimaginable well that's why it can't be that's why we can't rely on them they can't be the ones it, 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 right. only as an instrument at the end of a process that starts with actual mobilization of citizens the creation of like for one thing a lot of people are going to be materially really hurt by what uh Paul Ryan specifically has in mind in terms of re- removing people's uh, levels of of uh, health care and, and uh, financial support. And that's going to have to be dealt with either basically only by people coming together to provide mutual aid for one another in an atmosphere of, of mobilization, of people coming out, people realizing that politics isn't just voting, people realizing that they're going to have to work together through a number of different channels horizontally and then maybe at the end of that process just like the civil rights movement at the end of that process that moves some legislatures to do some legislators to do some stuff as a result of the pressure they're getting from outside I'm glad you said that Matt because I've been struggling with a way to say this on the show and I've certainly been thinking about it over our our new year's break and I think I, we, I think it bears saying at least that that is what politics is. What politics isn't includes things like this show and anything that happens online. Yes, like, absolutely. Th- this show, this yes. show is entertainment, right? And I'm incredibly heartened by the number of people who have come out 
to uh, get involved in, for instance, the DSA or really any political issue at a, at a local or national level through organization, through protest, or whatever, that, that is hugely important, and it, it really humbles me to, to hear this stuff from fans of the show. But I, I do feel the need that we need to be clear that this show is not politics. We're yeah. not doing politics on this show. We're talking about it. We're having a good time and hopefully entertaining you. But politics is what happens like in the real world and not online. Absolutely. So that's a... I don't understand the that's difference. A good, there is only one for me, and it is online. <laughs> that, that's my disclaimer uh, for this week. But I'm actually really glad with the way uh, this, the direction this conversation has led us because it leads perfectly into uh, my reading series for this week, um, which touches on a lot of the things we've been talking about, specifically reformocons and the polite Republican Party. And uh, the, the reading series this week comes courtesy... Uh, uh, Matt, you're going to like this. This is a guy named Michael R. Strain. Real strain hours in the fucking house. Oh, my God. He's one of them. He's a muncher. He's one of the master's minions. Real motherfucking strain hours. Um, This guy, he he cropped up... uh, this is a guy who I've um, uh, who's nauseated me uh, for a while now, but he 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 pops up occasionally in the Washington Post in their sort of like post everything opinion section, and he had an article uh, at the end of the year called uh, headline of which was America owes its working class yes, but the working class has duties too. Sounds the good. I'm was, very excited. As a culture, we feel more comfortable discussing what we want than what we owe. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yes! <laughs> now, keep, it, <laughs> keep in mind, this is just like, I, I'm going to give you the brief taste of the kind of guy you're dealing with here. He's a, a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, which, if that's not a real working job, I don't know what yeah, is. Do you think it's easy? Do you think it's easy to spend eight hours a week writing papers about how we should means test libraries? <laughs> It's fucking not, dude. That's work. I'm just going to read briefly from this one as the preamble to, to the real treat, which is the article that perfectly, uh, you know, will be the mirror of this. So this is a America's working class has duties too. He says, um, I'm reading now. He says, it seems to me that the sense of duty has eroded along with the cultural norms that support it. Again, this observation applies generally across our society, but taking the specific case of the working class, its implications are important, significantly strengthening the cultural norms that if you can find work, you should be working, even if the only job you can find pays a mere 65% of what you made in your last job. If you can work, you should be working, even if you have to move a few states away for a good job. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, that's the air horn we set off when a uh, a decent, polite, reform conservative simply suggests that you uh, move a couple states to work on an oil derrick in North Dakota. When you, when despite you, the <laughs> fact that you're like, you know, your last job was when you got your degree in economics from the uh, Kevin Williams dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> he says uh, you should be providing for your kids, and you have an obligation to contribute and to add your skills and talent an effort to the fabric of your community, the one you just moved to a week ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fabric, yeah, shut the fuck up with that fabric of community shit. If your fucking entire political, if your entire economic message to the struggling working class is become a friendless, familyless, social mo- uh, monad bouncing from job opportunity <laughs> right. to job opportunity, uh, 
You can't fucking talk about social fabric. You've shredded the social fabric. You wiped your fucking ass with the social fabric. <laughs> right. This like, is... Get on a boxcar, go to California. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is why these guys like Kasich so much. They're like, oh, what's the problem? He just hopped the train and went to where there was work or a high bottle deposit. You sleep under a bridge. I, I hear, I hear, I hear, I hear they're giving money to, to put dynamite down with mine. Oh, I got to get my old lady out of Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he keeps going, a strong recovery of these basic cultural norms. And he's, he keeps going on about cultural norms and strengthening norms. Buddy, the only cultural norm we should be strengthening right now is Norm MacDonald. Okay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so he, go, he, says, he goes on, he says, how? It used to be the case that an able-bodied man who wasn't working would feel much more social stigma than he does today. And stigma can push men on the margin into jobs can also push them into uh, crime and uh, or, drug yeah, addiction fentanyl as well. addiction, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says, uh, once employed, it is much easier for those men to meet their obligations and fulfill their duties, to be good fathers to their children, to be good members of their communities, to put down the video game and not use drugs. I mean, again, I'm, this anti-gaming message. Yo, me. all right, dude. I am I'm calling the Grey Wolves, the actual Grey Wolves that Erdogan brought to the Brookings <laughs> Institute to go to the AI. Because this is a this is hate speech. <laughs> this is motherfucking hate speech. So he says, put down the like. Uh, I like the also the idea that like if you're working a job that pays you like a fraction of what your old one did, and then you've had to move your family to work longer hours for less, that helps you be a better father to well, your absolutely, children. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. When you yeah. yeah, you're on like 14 prescriptions because of your back pain that you are unable to afford treatment, other treatment for and have to ignore because you have to go to work all the time. And then you come home and you see the kids for an hour in a, yeah, that, that's great. That, you that's see the like kids some Norman Rockwell shit right there. You see the kids for, your wife and kids are like an hour, but like you're so tired and disgusted that like all you can do is take out your anger on them for existing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, children do not respect fathers who don't work. Like they can tell how hard they're working and they will obey them. <laughs> If they know that they're putting the requisite amount of hours or if they're making, you know, like a good salary at the AIE, for instance. <laughs> yeah, see, the <laughs> way I do know when their dad I is a loser, kids the value way to, to these connect, things. To connect with your de- kid and maintain authority over them is just stay home and get really fucking good at Halo and then crush them at <laughs> Because they will yes. respect that. Well, I, I, I'm having the idea now that like uh, one of these AEI uh dickwads uh, could have just be like look even if you can't get a job lie to your family still leave the house every day mm. with your briefcase but just go to the park or mall for eight to nine <laughs> hours a day come home just shave put on a tie and leave the house so that your neighbors and family think you still have a job okay that's called respect uh, that's, that's also the create- plot of the classic french film time out which is based on a true story by the way but at the end of the real story the guy went home and killed his family and burned his house down <laughs> Matt, that is not how you create a virtuous cycle. No, it's a cycle not. of virtue is created by just maintaining that fraud until you find uh, a real job. So yeah, uh, he closes this out by saying, "Advancing the common good is a duty we all share. We all have obligations to one another and to ourselves. We shouldn't be afraid to say so. In fact, saying so might help us meet those obligations in and of itself." Yeah, that's some secret shit. That's like some success mindset shit. Except it's like if you say out loud that you are going to work 60 hours a week by working two 24-hour days in a row and one 12-hour day. These Go people home, are the most patches and can, beat your kids. Temptuous pieces it. of shit on earth. 
I hate them more than pretty much any other people on earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, There's a central reality about capitalism that it is the ultimate disruptor of tradition and family life. That's been recognized by basically everybody since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. It is a reality that makes me, frankly, respect two different strains of fascist freaks way more than these guys. Like the, the Douthit communitarian tradcats. They're weirdos. I don't want them to ban Netflix, but I give them respect for them acknowledging that capitalism destroys the things that they cherish and therefore must the be sacred. Give them credit yeah. for that. Also, I respect the transhumanist, like Nick Land, outright psychopaths who <laughs> embrace destroying everything that ever existed in human civilization and turning us all into, you know, uh, bio programs, like fucking brains in jars <laughs> on, 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 on jetpacks, like buzzing through a completely wasted slag hellscape, shooting each other with lasers. Like, people who say, yeah, capitalism's great. It destroys all these stupid bonds of human uh, connection. Human connection's stupid. Give me a robot body and I'll fucking kill everybody. I give both of those, I give way more credit than these line-straddling, deluded shitheads who at least it's an believe ethos, at the man. same time that they need to in, uh, allow capitalism to, to do whatever it needs to do in its, in its absolutely uh, thirstless quench uh, or it's a quenchless thirst for profit, but also maintain social norms and expectations of civilized society. Those cannot coexist. And that's why <laughs> Matt, the right-wingers who realize that and pick one or the other get way more respect from okay. me than these fucking now, dipshits. Like I said, th this whole thing about the duties of the working class, that was the preamble. And uh, Matt, you said you, uh, I think you said you couldn't possibly hate this guy even more. Uh, yeah, I thought so. Friend, have I got news for you? Oh Ooh, boy. boy, it gets worse. <laughs> this is the real treat, okay? This is the real uh, reading series, guys. You ready? This is Michael R. Strain. This was from last year in the Washington Post. Headline of this piece is, please address me as Mr., I insist. <laughs> the subhead is how informality hurts us. Oh, God. He begins. We were all gathered in the lunchroom of my Catholic grade school. I was in seventh grade, about to receive the sacrament of confirmation. The archbishop wandered in to give us a little pre-mass pep talk. His excellency told us to call him Archbishop Jim. His intention was surely to make us feel more comfortable around him, but I was shocked. He was a direct successor to the apostles. He had the power of transubstantiation in his hands. He could forgive sins in the name of God. At a minimum, he was a lot older than me, and my parents told me to call adults Mr. Not Brooke. Archbishop Jim? Nope, I couldn't say it. Again, he was in gra seventh grade. This is a seventh grader. What a fucking nerd. He was born to wear a It gets better. Years later, when I began working at the August American Enterprise Institute, I got to oh, know yeah. the August... <laughs> Fuck. Years later, when I began working at the August American Enterprise Institute, I got to know the August Charles Murray. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is that great writing of just repeating a word uh, again and again, it's also the August Charles Murray. Folks, you may remember Charles Murray from such hits as 
uh, black people be inferior, yo. Yeah. And the, here are the, some anthropology tips to uh, wooing bar girls in Thailand while you're working for Look, the CIA to destroy their country. Dude, when Charles Murray bottomed out in Thai 15-year-old girls, he, he called them ma'am. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> So Michael, uh, he, he called him Dr. Murray until the third time he told me to call him Charles. So Charles it is, but only by request. Oh. I was reminded of all this when I read a news account last week of a press conference featuring President Obama and the Chancellor of Germany. My jaw hit the floor when I read the president referring to the Chancellor, Angela Merkel, as Angela. Surely the reporter got it wrong, so I went to the White House transcript and was horrified to see the president referred to the chancellor by her first name nearly two dozen times. <laughs> he goes on about uh, what blah, 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 Angela Merkel, who gives a shit. Uh, Our society is suffering from a tyranny of informality. It is rude. It is false intimacy. It is the product of the utopian egalitarian fiction that society is one big happy village. A friendship circle where we're all holding hands. Station and hierarchy should be leveled because they are so 19th century. In the modern world, we are all Actually, equal. more so- like uh, like 14th century. Like society <laughs> of order shit. No, I love that he's like, uh, it's the product of this utopian, egalitarian fantasy that we all are equal now when society is really actually more like the, uh, the fantasy of the 19th century or as Matt rightly pointed out, the Middle Ages. <laughs> So he goes on where he says, uh, he quotes C.S. Lewis. So if you've got that in your bingo card for a dickless conservative pundit, you can just sort of X that one out. Every person I knew in my life who loved C.S. Lewis uh, deserved to be put through a wheat threshold. <laughs> Every single fucking 100% person. 100% co Every single person. He says it's a lot easier to undergo cancer treatment from Dr. Himes than it is from Ken. Is Shit, it? My iPad. I, I yeah. want data on that one. Not to be too Ezra Klein, but I'd like I, some data I, on that. I posted out the screenshot of uh, this guy and his, uh, please address me as Mr. I insist. And uh, Amber had a good nine. Not actually, not Chapo Amber, but uh, Philadelphia Amber said that this looks like uh, a missent text to his dom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he goes on about C.S. Lewis. He, he goes on and on about Angela Merkel. He, that really bugged him about Angela Merkel. And I wonder what he felt when George W. Bush like actually goosed her in public. Yeah, he, he that was certainly informal. Un, an unasked for back massage. That seems yeah, pretty dude. informal. It's kind of not surprising that the one leader that he picks is a woman. Like, I, I think in his first draft, it, he probably said, you know, she should be called Miss Merkel or Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> if every relationship begins on a first name basis, then I am robbed of the ability to signal to someone that he has become a friend or close colleague by inviting him oh, to address geez. me by my first name. No. Now, he uses that example, but what he really means is I am robbed of my ability to signal to other people my superiority yep. to them 100 percent. Yep. and look Absolutely. if you want to if you want to signal to somebody that you're they're your friend you just grab them by the net back of the neck and kiss them on the mouth <laughs> and cop their genitals that's how you do it that's how we started the show we all did it to each he other he says if the guy who comes to fix my cable calls me michael then what is left for my friends to call me? Uh, a dipshit, asshole, moron, little lord fuckpants, uh, uh, lollipop lad. If my, if my children's friends call me little homie gay ass. 
<laughs> oh, two little homie gay asses in the episode. And he says, and isn't it a little easier for the cable guy to give substandard service to Tom than to Mr. Creel? Can we get Brian? Can we get Brian Quimby on the line? Hold on a second. Can we call Brian Quimby right now and yeah. ask him how his uh, his customers doing uh, cable installation in rural Ohio referred to him as? It's almost over, but he says, "So far, I have suffered in silence, asking to be addressed as Mister Strain only once years ago during a heated phone conversation with an agent of my health insurance company." No, sir. We cannot make it bigger. That's not a real surgery. <laughs> Only in movies. But yeah, like, so he goes, Chancellor Merkel, certainly not Angela, and perhaps a little more respectful distance through formality for the rest of us, too. After all, it's just good manners. That's the end of the article, but underneath it on the webpage, it says, more from post everything, and the first link is, how I taught my infant son to use an adult toilet. (laughs) (laughs) That's way more useful than this. That's a way better article. But like, you know, it goes back to like the mentality of the Michael Strain's of the world is that like in exchange for um living this kind of like buttoned up like utterly uh dickless fucking lifestyle what they expect in return is deference from their social inferiors and and that's what they love about like you know uh like like that war that war room tom cunt who uh, oh, I fucking hate was like him. demanding that people at the supermarket say you're welcome instead of no problem and shit like that and what I want to say is, like, to give the devil their due for, like, a second, like, look, if you are at, like, a really fancy restaurant or, like, a five-star hotel, then I think it's maybe okay to expect, like, a certain amount of, you know, like, pomp and circumstance because that's what you're paying for. But the way that these people right, demand game, the same basically. from, like, just basic, like, customer service employees or people at a supermarket is just fucking sickening. Put some respect on my name. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this, I mean this they give the game is... away. They want, they want feudalism. They want a feudal order, but with iPads. Yeah. It's like the, it's like the, the they love the, the that they lo- that, that that's sort of why they have this schizophrenic relationship with capitalism, where they want all these social norms to be enforced, even though they endorse a political uh, an economic system that disrupts them. It's because they want the economic dynamism of capitalism that gives them all of the labor-saving devices and, and creature comforts that make their absolutely worthless, lidless, eyelid, uh, like fucking, you know, pale, translucent, uh, cave fish lives. Uh, <laughs> but they don't want to deal with a society where they don't get just by virtue of their position to be deferred to. Well, and so they, they that, that's why them I, together. That, that's things? why that's why they like Dubai so much. They love yes. Dubai and generally GCC nations because they have every stupid fucking gadget that a moron would want. <laughs> it's like a, it's like live it's like a country based on the sharper image right, catalog. Right. Exactly. But you also <laughs> get to have slaves. Oh, oh, did yeah. Did you see that idiot that that guy uh that like that Trump dude who's like where it looks like Lou, a white Lou Bega, the guy who did like the his car. Grant Kidney. What is his name? Grant, Grant Kidney? Kidney? Yeah, Grant Kidney. Okay, you know, he, Grant Kidney? Yeah, his name is Grant Kidney. Look him up. It's hilarious. Jesus. No, that's made up. It's <laughs> real. Oh, it's totally real. He did one of those, my, my favorite genre of video, uh, man sitting in car, <laughs> like clearly pulled yeah. over on the side of the road. Yeah, you can yeah, see yeah. traffic whizzing by him. He's just on the shoulder of the road, and he's like, here's why I'm for Israel. Like, it's not it's not because I'm a Republican. And then he goes on to say he's for Israel because it has beaches that are like Miami, 
coffee shops. You can't and, get that in any wh- totalitarian <laughs> Muslim country. And it's just like, I, and he's like, that's civilization. Like he says that, and like I, I love that because like for the for these people that is civilization. Yeah. Starbucks, baby. But like, I don't know. Something that really stuck with me was when I. At a previous job where I was working customer service, just like fielding 300 phone calls a day from like irate people because the piece of shit that they decided to buy on the internet turned out to be a piece of shit. I'll never forget like the my boss told me, he said, like consumerism is how we allow people to vent their rage in American society. It's like the acceptable way for people to express how angry they are at their lives and the world that they live in. And I think it's like the, in these transactional relationships, there's like where I'm buying something that's literally a, just a cheap piece of shit from you, that entitles me to a certain kind of authority or mastery over you, right? And like, like, th- like that's the deal that we're making with people who are otherwise getting shit on in every other way. Like this is the whole idea that we've talked on on the show before that like, well, you know, NAFTA is good, but uh, the people's quality of life will be, like the jobs won't matter because their quality of life will be made up for, let's say, in cheap consumer goods and credit. You know, like that's the deal we're making for with, with people rather than any kind of mastery or uh, control over their own lives economically or politically. They can have control over other people's lives provided that they are slightly lower than them. Right. I mean, it's very telling that he has this example of like the, the cable guy or whatever, and he's desperate for the cable guy to call him Mr., but there's no mention of whether he'll call the, the cable guy Mr. You know, like he's not a person. Like he's not a person with a, a first name and a last name. Like he doesn't have to be addressed in a formal way. He doesn't have to to have this like friendship signifier or whatever like that doesn't matter uh it's just about him you know like being able to exert his authority over this like faceless uh representation of this company that he's paid money to and uh like the the other punchline to uh real strain hours here is that of course he was one of the guys at the beginning of the year you know me at the beginning of 2016 versus me at the end <laughs> michael strain at the beginning of 2016 was writing articles like Donald Trump is not funny anymore. This is serious. Oh. We must stop him. His his boorish, you know, like again, hating Trump for all of the dumbest possible reasons to hate him. Right. And then, of course, at the end of the year, he's breaking some kind of record for going from a standing to kneeling position. So yeah, I think that pretty much sums up everyone who works for the American Enterprise Institute or any of these uh, DC think tanks. Oh, so. That's the reading series for this week, but I, I, before the show ends, I think we should mention that we're going to be in D.C. very soon for the inauguration. Yes. Yay. Yes, and uh, on January 22nd, I am going to be on the Street, Fi- Street Fight Live radio show. Uh, I have, uh, where is the venue? Hold on. Uh, Bus Boys and Poets, I believe. Bus Boys and Poets. Yes. Nice. Yes. Yeah, we're all going to be hanging out in D.C. Uh, for the inauguration. Felix is doing that live show. Uh, Chapo, as a whole, doesn't have a live show set up, but we're definitely going to be hanging out. Like, we're going to pick a bar, uh, probably Comet Ping Pong mm-hmm. Pizza. Yes, definitely. The, the, the secret, definitely. The secret yeah. basement underneath Comet Ping Pong Pizza. We're going to be having uh, a drinks and a meet and greet. So we want to see uh, our fans from the D.C. and Mid-Atlantic uh, region who have thus far been underserved by uh, Chapo live appearances. But like I said, we'll be hanging out in D.C. Libby, hope to see you there. Yeah, I'm going to take you to some lanyard bars. 
Ooh. Um, we'll get a hit on some lobbyists. Hopefully, we'll uh, get into a fist fight with Michael Rappaport. <laughs> I, I am gonna, I am gonna <laughs> bottom out the death. <laughs> okay. Until uh, next time, guys. Bye bye. Goodbye, everybody. Cheers. Thanks, Libby. Steel shoes on the stone cold floor. I hear the screws screaming in the corridor. The bad news and the slamming of the door. The walking I do's and the what I'm here for. Shades of downfall deeper than the slant that lights out. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about. Hell, Leo, I ain't embarrassed to use the word. I'm talking about ethics.